Stagging keys, new beginnings, lords of rhyme. I'ma try and do something different. Lord to the rhyme long distance. They can never see me like masking a beanie. I guess they all gonna miss it. You don't want it bad with the boy. Gamadia from Woodenville, Washington, and I am at Eyeball. Eyeball Sports Complex. Eyeball Sports yeah. Complex with a lifelong friend, Kyle Keys. Uh, Kyle Keys, I think I've known you since, is it 1983? Oh, man. Did we meet? It was a kindergarten at Rose Hill Elementary. It would, well, first grade at Rose First Hill. grade? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I went to kindergarten at Cherry Crest, but yeah. Ah, first so it grade. was Miss McKinney's. It was. Miss McKinney, yeah, McKinney's class. That would be 1984 then. So yeah. it's it's been a little while. Been a little while. A couple years, yeah. And then Kyle, uh, multi-sport athlete, uh, even from our earlier days, uh, Rose Hill Elementary, I was on the basketball team. Uh, your dad, uh, Johnny Keys, and then Clayton's dad, Dennis Larson, our yeah. coaches, remember them teaching us different plays, and then come game time, essentially you and Clayton would just run circles around <laughs> us and be the high scores. I was lucky to maybe get a rebound or two or put something back in. Uh, and then it, it, what's gone on since then? I know you, you were our star quarterback at Lake Washington High School and then went on to University of Montana. Yes. And uh, played basketball for Montana. And then now it looks like you have your own gym and you have uh, your own youth group. So tell me, tell me about what you've set up. Well, yeah, I ended up, uh, I had to go to junior college because I had to get my grades up. That's something that I that I like to stress because we, we put so much emphasis on the success of sports and athletes. Um, and and I don't think that we, uh, we, we put enough emphasis on education. People say it, but we don't talk about the results of it. Um, so I was actually, a lot of people don't know this, but I was actually recruited um, by the University of Washington to play quarterback. And, uh, I didn't get, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to play quarterback at Lake Washington until my senior year because of some, some politics and some different things that were happening there. But I had, uh, a, another scholarship, uh, to the university of San Diego for basketball to play division one. And, um, for, for football, they wanted me to put on 25 pounds, which I just told them up front. I was like, I don't even think that's possible because <laughs> I was, I think I was going like a hundred and 50 pounds soaking wet and it just yeah. wasn't happening. Right. And this was before the days of Mahomes and Russell Wilson and the, the, the smaller, shorter quarterbacks, uh, get an opportunity. So then I, I went to junior college and, and in Washington state, there is no football. So that ended up being the last time I played football. And it was, it was, uh, it was certainly a, a blow and it was sad, but, um, I had to go to junior college because I didn't have the grades to accept the scholarship uh, to the University of San Diego for basketball. So I went two years to junior college, got my associate's degree so that I could transfer to the University of Montana, and then <clears throat> ended up being one of the top junior college recruits in the country. But I developed a stress fracture in my leg when I was in junior college. So I had NBA agents talking to me and, and the whole nine, but I wasn't able to put together the type of career that I needed to to get into the NBA draft. So I put together my own highlight tape, um, ended up getting a call from the Sonics. And that's another story that a lot of people don't know about. Uh, the first year that the Sonics called me, um, Dwayne Casey, who was the, the previous coach of the Raptors, Toronto yeah. Raptors, he called me personally and he said, hey, we're bringing you in to take a look at you. I was like, oh, that's, a, that's great. I'm so excited. And he's like, well, don't get excited. Everybody's on guaranteed contracts and you don't have a chance to make this team. But we're taking a look at you because Bob Hopkins said that we needed to. And Bob was the former coach of the Sonics. 
Um, so they brought me in. I did uh, extremely well, uh, locked down Ray Allen at the time and um, got the eye of the front office and the head coaches. And uh, Ray actually kind of took me under his wing a little bit, um, shared one of his agents with me, and he was surprised that I wasn't being brought in. But so we go on to the next year, and the next year they actually called me, and I'm still dealing with the stress fracture from college. So it lasted about five years before I was able to get it fixed. Damn. Um, and the second year, uh, Nate McMillan and Dwayne Casey had been let go because Ray Allen and Richard missed all that time. And so the second year, Bob Weiss was the head coach, and he called me personally, and he said, hey, we're bringing you in to be a guard on this team. So, like, you're on the team, essentially. They, wow. We had to do, uh, you know, finalize contracts and do all those things. But I came in. And I knew I wasn't right. So here we are, you know, nobody knows this because it, you know, when you don't put the Jersey on, you don't get the contract. It's just not news. Right. But I got the call from the head coach of the Sonics and, um, I go down there and we're only playing half court the first day and I'm, I'm trying to fake it and pretend, but my, my, uh, my leg is completely broken, you know, stress fracture. It was hard to, to play. So I played half court and I couldn't walk the next day. And so I had to go back down to the Furtado Center and I told Bob, I said, hey, look, um, you know, I don't I, I'd be doing you guys a disservice. I, I can't play. My leg is broken. I don't know what I have to do, but I, I need to get a surgery or do something. And he just said, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. This is going to be a good opportunity for you. And I was like, I, yeah, I know. You know, I was going to be uh, on the Sonics. So I ended up getting uh, a surgery and had titanium rods nailed on the inside of my bone marrow from my knee to my ankle on both of my legs. I came back from that and was the top uh, point guard in the ABA, um, the American Basketball Association, mm -hmm. with the red, white, and blue ball that oh, Dr. Yeah. J and uh, those guys used to play. And Isaiah Thomas owned them, owned the league for a little while too. I, didn't I he? think he, yeah, either that or the CBA. No, um, no, that's right. Sorry, sorry. The CBA. CBA. It was the CBA. Yeah, it might have been the CBA. Um, but anyway, so then I was the top point guard in the country. I averaged 21 points, 11 assists, and now the Sonics had a third coach in three years, Bob Hill. Mm -hmm. And he brought me in to preseason workouts, but they had never seen me. Um, and so I played well. We stayed in contact. He said, we need to watch you because we know you're coming off an injury, so we can't sign you now. But if you have a great season, we'll sign you at the end of the year. So I had a great season, 21 points, 11 assists. And at the end of the season, uh, Bob says, all right, you get with uh, Ray Allen, get with Richard Lewis and Luke and uh, Nick Collison. They were the four captains at the time. So I'd start the workouts and the practice with the team. We'll get your contract negotiated and you'll go to Vegas for the summer league. And he was fired 10 days after the season was over. And so the reason why I'm going into that is, well, for one, it's perseverance and also like diamond in the rough. Like people don't always know who's who. Uh, but it, it was a clear calling to me from God and the universe that it's not about me putting on an NBA jersey. Like I already had the validation that I'm an NBA point guard sure. and I can play at the highest level but I knew that it was time to give back in, in different ways and that my calling was to help other people. Like it is just like that road's blocked. You're not doing that. Um, but now I was healthy and feeling good. And so I had started eyeball when I first got out of college cause I had another injury at that time, a broken wrist and, um, was just training kids on the blacktop and doing local camps and clinics and doing stuff with the YMCA's and the city of Redmond and the city of Bellevue. And then in uh, 2010, uh, I started the teams and we were over at the Redmond Athletic Club and they gave us a spot there and allowed us to rent the gym and it was it was great. We did that for a couple years and then ended up having uh, some people that wanted to be involved and help to, to create a, a larger space and um, put a team together. And now we've got the 12,000 square foot eyeball sports complex here in Woodenville. Um, we're also into education 
curriculum development for kids um, on a scholastic, on an education level for physical education and health education. So it's really just come full circle. And obviously, you know, being able to dribble the basketball and jump a little bit and shoot it um, has set me up to to be able to help other people in life. And that's that's what I'm trying to do. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I I've actually followed you and uh, the Facebook page that you have for the Eyeball Sports Complex for a while. Okay. And one thing that impressed me is, is sometimes you'll make posts. It's not necessarily just about practicing more. I remember once you even mentioned to parents to not have their kids skip going to practice in order to do homework than in order to be a student athlete. Right. They're going to need to learn those skills of, of time management and balance. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I was never going to go anywhere with, with sports, but in high school, after my sophomore year, I didn't even play city league baseball or anything because I figured I needed to focus more on academics. But I have found the times when I have more things going on in life, learning that balance, I think it did a little bit better scholastically. And so I, um, the thing that just impressed me with, with, for example, that, that posting that you made is just that people are going to have to learn that balance for both academics and sports and how they're equally, equally important. Um, yeah. What, what has your message really been then, I guess, to student athletes, to the ones that even they maybe they want to go professional, but not everyone's going to make it. You know, they need something to fall back on. What what has your message been to a typical uh, young adult that's that's, you know, is dreaming big, but maybe he needs to have some uh, some things to fall back on? Yeah, I, well, this right here, this is why this is on the court. Own your game. Mm-hmm. is our is our tagline and um you know we're on the east side of of uh seattle which is uh, predominantly a a suburb and you know um traditionally a community that um people don't think that they're going to be going to the nba to play basketball we'll just say that right um, but the one thing that i've learned is that it, it doesn't really matter it's not about your baseline skill set it, it may be about your athleticism on on a certain level to to increase your percentages to become a professional or an nba player right but um what we're doing is we're trying to get kids to play college basketball and what i've learned about that is that the athletic ability is 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 i don't know how i would rate it percentage wise but it has almost nothing to do with it in the nba yes you need to be able like even steve nash was quick feet you know he could have been a professional soccer player he could shoot the ball he's skilled but it's about your skill and it's about your work ethic. Um, and for the college level, there's so many schools. I mean, there's over 300 schools at Division One, close to 400 at Division One. Another three to 400 at Division Two, II, Division Three. You got junior college. You got NAIA. You got NCAA Division One, Two, II, and Three. As I said, mm-hmm. and um, if you really want to do something in this life, you can carve a path for yourself. Uh, but you have to believe in yourself 100%. I think the biggest thing that we try to do is instill confidence in kids. Um, you know, we see parents that they may think that they're instilling confidence in kids, but there's negative words or negative connotations that the parents don't even realize are are that damaging. So I think above anything else that we do, it's instilling confidence in kids. And then when you talk about the um, the, the the separate connection, I guess it would be a good way to say it between school and athletics, right? It's like you have a separate focus when you're in your books. You're not, you shouldn't be thinking about basketball. You should be, that might be your carrot. You know, that's why you're studying uh, for certain kids. It, certainly it was for me. Basketball helped me stay in the books and got me back in the books when I failed. So um, you you have to be well-rounded and, and, and diversify your life and your mind and your brain and your spirit, because you also, as as I said with my story, you don't know what's going to happen to you in life. Uh, 
Right. Like now we're at this point where, you know, if I told you a year ago that everyone's going to be walking around with masks on, you would have thought I was a lunatic. But now it's like actually what's happening. And now it's happening almost going on a year. Right. I mean, it, it appears that for sure by next March, we'll probably still be forced to wear masks in certain scenarios. Right. Right. Well, that's a reality that nobody even knew about. So it's all about preparation. It's like being prepared like you're playing a chess game to be able to move and shake and maybe you lose a pawn or you lose your queen or you lose a rook or a knight or a bishop, uh, but you just you, you find an alternative way to dissect a problem to try to get to the, the end of, of what your goals are. Um, and I think for, for us, the goal is just to help people and instill confidence in anybody. If the, if the goal was to to send everyone to division one. Well, I don't have control over the scholarship. I don't get to write the check that gives the kid the scholarship to right. university of Washington. Right. That's not under my control, but it is under my control to be a good person and make sure that my staff are good people and that they're a good influence on kids and teach kids how to have confidence. And a lot of that happens by kind of stepping back a little bit. You know, I grew up on the blacktop playing basketball, so I didn't have any coaches talking to me. So I had to learn who I was independently. And that's what I try to teach them. So, you know, we'll run into a lot of parents where they're like, well, what's this and what's that? And why aren't we running X, Y, Z and one, two, three, four and seven, eight, nine? Why, why aren't we running these plays? And it's like, it doesn't have as much to do with it as you think it does. You know, the only thing that matters is that little Johnny or little Susie feels good about themselves when they show up and feels good about themselves when they leave. And if that's true, now they've, they've they we've saved their passion and hopefully if that stays true that they're happy to be here and happy when they leave that over time their passion will build and grow because it doesn't matter if they can run box one or sideline or come off a double that that matters later right right but they have to have the passion or they're not going to want they're not going to have the will to want to even do it it kind of reminds me of todd marinovich the quarterback that essentially his dad was wanting him to go professional and he just shoved football down his throat and he hated it and he made it to the Raiders, but didn't go beyond that. And he just, I think he even didn't even say like, I don't like football. Yeah. Yeah. wasn't so. even interested. And in, in, so now here you got an NFL quarterback who he doesn't even care that he's in the NFL. Right. Right. And, and then you've got other kids that are, would, would die to be there. Yeah. You know? So yeah, it is, it's truly about your passion. Um, and I've had kids that, you know, that's a story. I, I'll tell you a story that early, Early in my uh, eyeball career, I had a kid who came to a workout and he was a seventh grader. He was 13 years old. I'll never forget him, a little left-handed. And he did everything. He Okay, crossover, pull up, behind the back, spin move, floater, uh, pull up for three-point range, pull up off the break, uh, attack the basket, slide your feet. He did everything, but I could sense his spirit. I could feel him, right? And I said, hey, um, I could tell that he just wasn't super excited to be there. I didn't feel that it was aimed towards me. I just could tell he wasn't super excited. And I said, hey, what, what's, uh, what's your story, man? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm, well, what do you want to do with your life? And he's like, I want to be an engineer. I said, okay, well, tell me about that. Well, I, w- I want to be a, an engineer and, and an architect, and I want to build things and create things and, and design things. And I don't know specifically what I want to do, but I know that that's what I want to do. And I was like, okay, that's awesome. I said, do you want to play basketball? And he said, no, I'm just here because my dad signed me up. And I said, well, are you having fun? He's like, well, yeah, I'm having fun because you're a good coach. And I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and I go, but you don't really want to play the game, huh? And he's like, no, I'm just not interested in it. It's not, it's not my thing. It's just what my dad wants me to do. And that was the last time that I ever trained that kid. I told the dad, I said, 
I'm not going to train your son because he's not interested. And so um, that's how I do it. If I see, you know, a kid uh, who, who's not interested, we try to give a time, say, hey, you know, see, see what you think about this or, um, or give it a chance. But this particular kid had been like through the AAU circuit for four mm. years before I met him, right? Um, whereas some kids come in and maybe they don't like it on the first day. And it's like, no, come back tomorrow, give it a shot, you know, like give it a good effort. Um, because as a, as a young kid, you never know what you're going to sort of develop a liking towards. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just about, uh, helping people follow their dreams. So I've had kids that have played basketball and football and it became apparent that maybe they like football a little bit more. It's like, well, go, go do that. Come here a little bit less and get, get on the, on the football field a little bit more. Um, so yeah, just instilling confidence in people to to follow their dreams and be able to essentially program themselves to to think critically, um, which that's where confidence comes from is knowing that you can handle any situation that's thrown at you. Because if you can't handle it, then you start getting fear, you get anxiety, you get stress, you get um, everything that's the antithesis of confidence. Right. You know? So I think confidence is first and... Um, and just becoming uh, the strongest person that you can become. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. It kind of reminds me of a, another show I recently watched with a shutdown. <laughs> had a few chance to, to watch maybe a few more shows than yeah. normal. But Jason Sudeikis was in a show called Ted Lasso. Not sure if you saw the original promotional commercials. He was an American football coach who went to England to then be a, a – a European football coach, aka soccer, oh, okay. and obviously it was a big disaster. And so they made a show about it. But when he was with the soccer team, his whole thing was he's just trying to get them to be the best version of themselves. And so he's just trying to make a connection. So people's games would come out on their own if you can figure out, you know, why is this person lacking confidence or why this person's so arrogant? He's not thinking about making the extra pass. And so it was a matter of him tackling his demons so much than realizing even though he kept telling to make that extra pass and it was more just about making these connections with people. Um, so it's a good show, Ted Lasso, Apple TV, but, it, but it's interesting <laughs> cool. how you, when you mentioned that, and I still think there's some truths in it. Um, and I think that's the thing I was impressed on your Facebook page, or at least you're posting. So it's, yes, it's about developing the skills, but it seems like it's also about developing individuals to be able to find, find that pathway and maybe you go to the top, you know, top level, the, the, the top game, top league, or, Maybe you become that engineer. Maybe right. you do something else. I think there's even Richard Sherman who, is, you know, he graduated from Compton High School, but he's gone back and he's told people that, you know, only about 1% of the people make it NFL shoot for it. But, you know, you might still develop your other skills, your other passions, because you might have another route that you need to take. Yeah, and I think finding out what your truth and your potential is, right? Like some people have the potential to run a 4.3 or a 4.240, some people just are never going to run that fast. And so, you know, there's, I've had some very smart parents who've come in and said, Hey, we want to play college basketball and we want to play at a division three school. I'm like, okay, these people got their head on their, on their shoulders. They, they, they understand that their son is not in the top 100 athletically, physically skills, um, skills you can get there, but you can't change physical, uh, you can, well, you can only change physical attributes based on your potential. We'll say that, right? Okay. Like you're not going to be jumping from the free throw line unless you have something different in your blood, right? right? <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're white, black, native, it, it doesn't matter, right? We've had all different types of races of people who can run and jump and play sports, but individually each person has a, has a different 
um, plateau potential. And people don't like to talk about it. People are like, oh, well, don't shatter my dreams. Like, I don't, that, we don't do that. I never tell a kid that he can't, can't do anything. Um, I want to be surprised by, by all of those potentials. And I think I learned a lot of that when, when I, I didn't mention it, but spent time with the Globetrotters Harlem All-Stars with Meadowlark Lemon and Curly Neal. And watching them in an environment that was not competitive at all. It was comedy. It was fun. But they're still the best basketball players to ever pick up a basketball. Um, right. It was all about making other people smile, making other people happy, being there for your teammates. Um, and a lot of times at the youth level, you got parents going crazy because we lost three games in a row. And, and, right. I, and I, I just don't care. And it doesn't have anything to do with if your kid's going to play college basketball or play professional. It has nothing to do with anything. It's like, okay, great. We lost three. So now how are we building our character? How are we, you know, it just gives you an opportunity to do something better. So it's all about, like we talked about um, off the record, just about perception, you know, right. your perception of the rea- the current reality that you're dealing with is going to shape your um, your emotions towards it and your approach towards it, right? So I always try to help shape the parents' percep- perception as well as the players' perception because ultimately those players are going to be here for just a few hours a week, but they're living with their parents who are going right. to then be, you know, indoctrinating them with either positive or negative perceptions. Um, so That's true. That's know. true. I was kind of curious too. How does one uh, try out for become part of the Washington Generals? Because that, that, that's the squad I think I could actually probably qualify for. <laughs> you know, the, it, it was interesting because uh, I, I don't know the answer to that because Meadowlark and Curly actually defected from the Globetrotters because they were in um, a name and likeness where the Globetrotters had made, I don't know, purportedly millions of dollars off their name and likeness. But Meadowlark and Curly weren't getting much ah, of okay. anything. So they started their own Harlem All-Star team, right? So they used the same colors, and they were the Hall of Fame Globetrotters. They were the guys that actually went out and dribbled the ball. So it wasn't the, it wasn't the Globetrotter franchise. It was Meadowlark Lemon and Curly Neal's franchise ah, okay. of the Harlem All-Stars. Um, so they had uh, the Sharpshooters, I think, was one of the teams that they played against. And, and I knew nothing about that. Uh, they Sharpshooters would just show up, and we'd play them. Um, what I, I found out about it because I was with a, a close friend of mine, like my brother, uh, Dion Brown, who played at University of Washington. And we were at the United States Basketball Academy uh, playing against guys from all over the world. And I had drove down with him. And when we're on the way back from the United States Basketball Academy, we're in um, Eugene. And uh, and then the the CEO of the United States Basketball Academy just, just passed away, Bruce O'Neill. So rest, mm. rest in peace to Bruce. Um, he started that. Uh, it, it started with a conversation that Bruce had with Wilt Chamberlain, and I've been blessed to be partners with the United States Basketball Academy. Eyeball is uh, a partner, and um, you know had some intimate uh, conversations about how it was built and and all those things. So, you know, obviously I connected with Bruce years later on a business side, but he gave me an opportunity uh, to come to the United States Basketball Academy after averaging four points in college and being an injured player. So, Oh, wow. Um, blessings to him and, and, and rest to him. That just happened this, this last week. So it's fresh. Um, but anyway, we were driving back from the United States Basketball Academy and, and Dion gets a message from his agent and he is looking at me and I'm thinking, what's he, what's, what's going on? And he doesn't say anything. And then he's like, you want to go try out for the Globetrotters? And I'm like, yeah, of course. He's like, well, they're having a, a tryout for the Harlem All-Stars in, in Portland, and we can just stop through. So we we stopped through, and 
it was the easiest tryout of my whole life. Hmm. And I had been cut from teams and had to go through grueling tryouts and training camps and everything. And in this particular scenario, it's just like the same thing. If something is right for you, it, it's not going to be painful. Sure. So I walk in, I see Meadowlark, I see the news cameras and Curly Neal's there and I lace up my shoes and we were, we were only there a few minutes before we were on the court. And uh, I, I play in the first game, I knock down a couple threes, get to the basket, score some things, uh, go into the basket, um, have some great assists. And the guy, uh, one of the guys, uh, Pee Wee is running up and down, run side the court. And he's like, Meadowlark loves you. He loves <laughs> you. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking, this is the first game. Like, I, there's probably this going to last for weeks, you know? And uh, so after the game's over, Meadowlark Lemon calls me over and he looks at me. He's like, I like your game, man. He's like, you, you can play. And I'm like, thank you. I appreciate it. And I'm just like, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Because I watched these guys in the kingdom when I was five years yeah. old. Like, I mean, just watch them on Scooby-Doo and the whole nine. And so I'm just, it was the best compliment of my life at that time. And, and probably still, I mean, from a basketball standpoint, one of the best. And uh, he says, can you dunk it? And I said, I can 360. And he was like, show me. And so I go up and do a 360 and I walk back over to him and he's like, you're my point guard. Nice. And uh, so it was, just, awesome. it was one of the most special <laughs> moments. It's like, you know, not not putting on the NBA jersey, but being recognized by a Hall of Famer wants you to be his point guard. And he used to tell me, he's like, if I was an NBA coach, you'd be my point guard. And so, uh, and obviously rest rest in, in peace to Meadowlark and, and Curly as well as time goes. But um, Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Was, so how long were you a Globetrotter for? Well, I played with the Harlem All-Stars for about three years, but again, it was on and off. They knew that I was playing on the broken leg, so I would go on some of the, the tours and I would play in an occasional game here and there, but it was really an opportunity for me to continue to keep my resume towards the goal of playing in the NBA while still playing at this level um, with with Hall of Fame players and, and, and just learning from them more about, I think, character than, than basketball. You know, mm -hmm. like Metal Arc and Curly never once showed me anything with a crossover or a jab step not one thing uh it was all about character you know it, that's that's sure. it. it was all about how to conduct yourself at the hotel how to conduct yourself at the you know at the restaurants in the public how to conduct interviews and 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 most of that came from just watching them you know and and, and talking to them uh you know at the arena and 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 in the hotel and in the car rides and stuff like that so. Do you notice a difference from because I've heard like say Russell Wilson has had training in that from an early age, and then was it a Des Bryant that finally hired some people to work in shifts to make sure he wasn't making bad choices? Oh, is he that had, right? That's what I'd heard. Which hey, you got to do what you got to do. Oh man, well my my high but. school coach mostly got me straight with that because I was you know I was skipping classes and and failing some classes, and he said uh, if you're even tardy to one class for the entire semester, you're kicked off the basketball team. And so like that was my that was, that was my, your motivation. That was my yeah. motivation. And I was like, well, this portable's at the other end of Canton. He's like, I don't care. You're going to have to run. You're faster than everybody, right? I'm like, yeah. Okay, well, then you're going to have to run. So I, I, one of my, I think from fifth to sixth period, I had to actually run across the Lake Washington campus to, to get to the next class, Damn. you know, through all the gauntlet of kids and everything. So, um, no, I've, I've always been uh, policing myself and, and trying to make the best decisions possible, you know? So. Sure, yeah. sure. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd wondered too, you'd mentioned the Seattle Supersonics, which I'm still bitter about the whole situation. Oh, it's how, crazy. How, they, how, how that went. I mean, you talked about, you know, how things, you, things you would never expect. If you would have told me in 2007 that 
and, and well, hell, by even 2020, the Sonics will not have existed for 12 years, and Donald Trump, you know, the guy from The Apprentice would be president. I mean, that would have been just nuts. <laughs> I, I'm, um, I, yeah, I make sure to stay out of the politics conversations, but um, just because I know the landscape and, and there's so many aspects to it, I know from a, I, cause I know what I know. And with the, with the Sonics thing, it was, it's quite amazing how it happens. I don't drink Starbucks coffee to this day. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I still go back to Howard Schultz, the guy that, and, and he, <laughs> and he got away with that somehow where it's like, look, this franchise has been here forever. If you really want to sell the team, I mean, somebody will buy the team and you can have it. Someone locally, not not the guys from Oklahoma trying to move well, it. Yeah, so. and, and, I, and I think that there's just being a businessman. Now, there's ways to structure deals where you can have contingencies on anything, right? Sure. Like you could, you could sell your house for $100,000 less than it's worth because you want to get rid of it, right? right. You, can, you can sell your house and say... Um, you're not allowed to cut down this tree because it was planted by my grandmother 200 years ago and we're going to sell this house but contingent on this contract right. is you're not cutting this tree. Yeah, everything's negotiable. Everything is negotiable yeah. in business and especially at the multi-million dollar level. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not. Right, right. Everything's negotiable. So the fact that he was able to skate out and then people are booing Clay Bennett it was wild. Clay Bennett had nothing to do with it. Right. Of course he wanted to go to Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the master plan and he had to be quiet and say nothing but... Um, you know, and obviously I don't have any, I don't have any ill will towards anybody. So Howard's definitely, he was the owner of the team. So he can do that. He's right. allowed to do that. And I'm also allowed to not drink Starbucks coffee. Yeah. Right. So, the, yeah. Well, so, right there with you, but I still admit I, I tend to go to Starbucks more you? than it's, it's just the convenience factor, I guess. <laughs> I feel ashamed the whole time, <laughs> but I was curious because, um, the, the league, so the NBA is still at 30 teams. You have the NHL going to 32, NFL at 32, and I know baseball wants to expand. Uh, the current commissioner, ha he he thinks is a, a dilution of talent, or at least if you expand, there'll be dilution of talent. But for we the have NBA? for the NBA, uh -huh. but we have a lot of people coming from uh, Eastern Europe um, or just all over Europe, I guess you'd say. Oh, everywhere. Do all you feel that Africa we're getting now? to the point where we could expand because that would still would offer more jobs and more roster spots? for people to you know to be able to to play in the nba yeah i i mean I, I mean you absolutely could expand from a talent standpoint i mean they'll they'll try to tell you that there isn't talent i mean you've got roughly 400 jobs you can't tell me that there's not 500 people that can play right. basketball on that level right um so there's so many guys that that i played against that are better than guys that I played against that were in the NBA. And then there's guys that were stars in the NBA that weren't as good as journeymen in the NBA that I played against. Whereas like you mm -hmm. see them on, on in, in street ball or um, in pro-am games. And it's like, well, maybe that guy was just a really good spot up shooter. And he played with John Stockton or maybe, you know what I'm saying? Right, uh, right. But, but you put him in a pro-am game and toss the ball up and, and let the dogs play and, and they're nowhere to be seen. Right. So right. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely talent enough and I, I would never, believe anybody and that would say that there's not enough talent especially now like you said i mean it's being developed in every country in the world china mm -hmm. has uh um i don't know what it is it's a ridiculous amount of millions of people that are playing uh basketball in china i want to say it's for almost every man woman and child in the united states oh wow it's like over 300 million play basketball in china you know um so it's a staggering number and then africa um, they have their own struggles from the standpoint of being able to provide services on certain levels. And we're actually doing some work in Africa. I don't talk about it too much right now, but I'm in contact with players there and, you know, eventually want to be able to help bring 
some players over from Africa. But then you know, you've got Germany, France, Australia, every Canada. Right. Canada now is huge. And, yeah. and, you know, 10 years ago, Canada was just a few guys. Yeah, I mean, um, Steve Nash was the enigma right, know, right. from Victoria. So now, I mean, yeah, the world's wide open. So absolutely, you could add two, five, you could add 10 NBA teams if you wanted to. Um, right. So they just do that to control the supply and the demand and to control the conversation for sure. Um, but yeah, they certainly could expand. And then um, who knows? I, I would love to see the Sonics come back. And I've, you know, in, in the uh, in the back of my mind, I I feel like I want to be a part of that at some point. Um, and again, people might think that sounds crazy, but they also thought it was crazy that you get to this point and then that point and then the next sure. point. Um, but no, I'll, that'd be great because I know even the the Kraken working in the NHL team, they're trying to be a part of youth groups in the area. Oh, are they? I know Snoqualmie, they're they're putting in an ice rink um, for the and, Kraken. For the Kraken, yeah. Okay, oh, they're, and they're trying to, to I know just the guys that are, branch out. That are running that. I've talked to them and met with them on several occasions. No, really. So that's, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So I think it would be smart for be it if it's an expansion NBA franchise or a relocated yeah. one to reach out to the the local places that are developing. Right. And uh, I think just from a business athletes. perspective, right? A lot of times it's, uh, you'll get guys t- together with money and people will automatically think that now they can negotiate a business deal specifically in certain sectors that has to do with uh, obviously commercial real estate mm-hmm. and sports. So just because you played basketball and have millions of dollars doesn't mean you n- understand anything about commercial real estate. Right. So putting the right group together. I mean, it's not always a financial thing either, right? Like I know from a business perspective, I could certainly help in, in those, uh, in those areas. And so I don't sure. know, I don't know what it'll mean. It'd be, uh, you know, from a business perspective or financial, but you know, I, I would hope to, to be involved in some way if that, if that opportunity ever came up, you know? Yeah, yeah. no, no, that'd be great. That'd be yeah. great. I'm, I'm hoping Adam Silver will listen to this podcast and then contact <laughs> you and that'd we expand. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> And so predominantly your, your gym, I know that you've had at least some Zumba classes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, predominantly it's basketball. Are there any other sports that, that you, that takes place here or any other connections? Here we did, uh, we just have been doing basketball and then we, we brought in some, some Zumba in, in the mornings and we were thinking about doing some yoga and some different things. And we've even considered, uh, you know, doing some level of childcare, which would mostly be just for our members. Okay. Um, but I am actually boxing now as well. And so I think nice. that we'll probably expand into, uh, doing some of the boxing training. Um, I, I haven't decided, you know, how I want to build that out here or if we're going to build it out here. Um, uh, but we're definitely want to expand into other sports. I'm in, in talks about, um, adding other sports. That's why I named it eyeball because I knew that long-term I didn't want it to just be basketball, but you sure. gotta, you have to create a real foundation before you can branch obviously. So, right. Right. Um, no, I'm, I'm hopeful it'll be other sports. It's just been, it's just been basketball and some Zumba in the mornings, but you know, anything from fitness exercise to, to, to yoga, to, um, aerobics. I mean, I know aerobics isn't a big thing these days, but maybe like, uh, you know, different types of dance and, and things like that. Um, are, are all on the table for sure and and definitely want to expand to all sports sure so. i mean I, I started getting bored just doing the same free weight weightlifting. yeah uh and then it was kelly that actually had me go to a group power class so okay. it's with music first i was a little wary of it but uh it's more higher rep weights and so it just it was a, a different way it's a little more fun to, to do rather than just straight free weights where you're, you're still using some free weights but it's just in a different style so yeah i found myself open to, to that and enjoying that that's cool um but one thing I was curious about, so I, I've gotten more and more into endurance sports. Uh, this 
podcast has dealt well, you know primarily with say like triathlons and uh, long distance running marathons and whatnot but i've i've noticed there's there's certain people that tend to gravitate toward toward different sports and i wasn't sure if some of it is even just a border or a blockade something that's preventing and not sure if it's accessible to just certain demographics or areas um i mean i mentioned hockey do you remember even when at lake washington <laughs> Uh, Doug Bonner was a, a goalie for the Thunderbirds, and I, I think his mom had it growing up, driving from Tacoma to Everett to, okay. to practice. And so I wasn't sure, you know, what would you say are the biggest barriers for people to 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 get into other sports? Is it ma- mainly just exposure f- facilities that offer it? Is it a financial issue? Is it? I think that it's a little bit of all of it. You know, I have this theory now just about life in general that it's prismatic. You know, a lot of people try to say, oh, it's black and white, or this is simple, or Maybe there's some shades like I just think it's prismatic. I think it depends on what is the situation of each individual. Um, and I and I think that people are lazy in their assessment of human beings in general. Right. So if you have 300 plus million people in a country, it's very easy to divide them into five or six social groups and, you know, several different sports groups and some psychological groups. But the reality is, is that you have you know, 330 plus million people, right? Individuals, right? So, you know, for some kids, you're uh, a black kid growing up in the inner city and basketball is the only thing that's accessible, accessible because you don't have the money to go get on the golf course like Tiger Woods did. I mean, we all know that Tiger Woods's dad was able to provide an opportunity. So that's why we saw this black golfer. Um, we're we're certainly, I mean, and this is just speaking for myself, but we're a long ways from a hockey rink in most situations. Right. right? (laughs) Um, so, you know, we, we had the blacktop. I grew up playing on the blacktop and I didn't have the money to go play at the pro club, which was where a lot of the guys were going. Now, once I got good, well, I should say once I got really good, then all of a sudden I was allowed to go to the pro club and not pay. So I was a scholarship essentially. Um, and we do that for players here. We, we have uh, it's it's in the budget that we have uh, multiple scholarships for each team, uh, you know, from 10 years old all the way up to our high school teams. And so I always try to make sure that I, I have kids that are um, a combination of less fortunate and um, and passionate. Right. So I've given scholarships to kids that are not great basketball players because they're passionate about the game and their parents don't have the means to make it happen. You don't have to be able to dunk a basketball and score 30 points to get a scholarship at eyeball. You just have to have good character. Um, and, sure. and, 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 and kids don't always have good or great character at that time, but you have to have the passion and the want to be great. Cause I've had some kids that have been quite honestly on scholarship and it's been a problem, um, that we had to nurture and try to develop and just believe in the kid. And it's hopefully like this year or next year or, three years from now, we're not going to give up on you. And as long as you don't do anything that's going to just really throw a wrench into us being able to help you, you know what I mean? Like there's some things that can kind of put you off the wagon, but we, um, um, and then still setting the parameters so that they know that there's expectations and it's not a free pass, that, that kind of combination. But, um, you know, as far as, uh, the barriers to entry, yes, it just depends. Like I was a mixed race, you know, half black, half white kid growing up on a predominantly white east side suburb. So that's that's not everybody's story either. That's not right. the typical black story. It's not the typical white story, right? So that's where that prismatic theory comes into play. Like for me, you know, I had a father from the ghetto and a mother from the suburbs. So I got a little bit of both, you know? Um, sure. 
thankfully so for me, but everybody's experience is unique. And I think that it needs to, I think it's, I think people um, deserve the time to be looked at as individuals and make individual assessments, right? Think, no, absolutely. I think that's going to that's gonna provide the best uh, way forward for our society is that it's all just about slowing down a little bit, right? If we slow down a little bit to understand each other and understand what the needs are of each person, then um, then you're going to go further in the long run and you're, and you're also going to go faster later. Right? Sure. You might be slow for five years. You might be slow for 10 years as you're developing, but if it's developed with that individual construct in mind where you're giving information to the individual and spirit and confidence to the individual so that they can be part of a collective for themselves and for other people well now you can move at light speed later but everyone's trying to move as fast as they can right now and they end up just running around in circles sure sure i'm guilty of that more often than i like to admit so (laughs) yeah it's wild um now i noticed too that you're a 50 three one c five oh one c three five oh one c they're a nonprofit yeah. and uh so are people then able to to donate as well yeah, if yeah. they That's and does tax- that go towards scholarship for ta- tax-free to- donations we use the well right now during covid we're we're using it to help keep the facility afloat um but yeah typically it can be um and even now i mean if I, I don't try to tell people how to spend their money, right? If somebody wants to put money towards a scholarship for a player, I wouldn't say, no, this has to go to the building. Um, so we do give people the the option of, you know, how do they want to donate? Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all tax-free donations. And uh, it's and so it's a write-off on, on your taxes. And, and it's a way for, you know, people who have a little something extra or maybe a, a lot of something extra to... Um, to help people and then also still help themselves at the same time. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's great. And I saw that when I was, was going through your website earlier. Yeah. I thought that was a great idea. Yeah. So we try to try to get donations where we can, but I, I, I try not to focus uh, on the donations. I try to focus more on the service. And so then what happens is that, you know, hopefully people will, will, will come and, and help with donations. But I, I just noticed that focusing on providing the best service is what leads to people maybe knocking on your door and saying, Hey, how can I help? Sure. As sure. opposed to just having your hand out, you know? So. Gotcha. Yeah. And what are ways people can help? Well, right now what we're doing is we're, we're doing most things in house with the parents as volunteers, right? So now um, instead of paying a staff that we did for years and, and you got people that were kind of, I, what I found unfortunately was that they weren't as much about the kids as they said they were and they were coming in and um, you know, collecting a check. And so now what we've moved to this last year is, we moved to a volunteer basis of parents that have been in the program for, you know, a while or, you know, really showed an accelerated want to be involved um, if they if they get in earlier. Um, and then we just we um, we work and collaborate with those parents and, and, and allow them to be the ones that to help run the facility and the and the teams and the organization, um, you know, through the, the process and the program that's already been built. And that's been, that's one of those things where we talk about in hindsight, man, if I had done that 10 years ago, where, where would we be? But it's like, you have to go through the growing pains so that you go, you went all the way up against the wall for threshold. And now, you know, okay, this is the avenue, right? you know, because they don't want anything from us. And we know that. Whereas if you're giving somebody a check, then you can kind of sometimes be in the dark a little bit about what their motives are. And what I found out over the years was that we had great, great people, and I love everybody that's been a part of what we were doing, but there was certainly some individuals where 
I thought that they really were more about the kids and you realize later that they're more about themselves, you know, and, and everybody's got different things that they're dealing with. So maybe they were in a financial crisis, but because they're getting financing from us, then we're looked at as the bad guy. Like I want more, I want more, you know? Right. Um, right. So I just decided to not play that game anymore. Um, you know, I certainly wish all the adults well, but our focus is on the kids and by having parents volunteer, um, it puts the emphasis squarely on the kids the parents um, and the staff no longer have expectations to extract anything from the company. It's only giving, giving to the kids. Sure. Um, so that's been, that's been the biggest, biggest blessing to have to make that switch. Yeah, no, yeah. that sounds great. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Kyle, thanks so much for meeting me with me today. I, I definitely have really uh, been inspired by your message and what you've tried to create for the youth in the area as well. Um, Best way to get a hold of you. Anybody's interested in not just basketball, potentially Zumba, boxing, anything. What's oh, the best man. way to find uh, Ibel Sports Complex? Well, finding the sports complex, just going online, the way that we're doing it from the sports complex standpoint is just uh, having kids uh, or parents uh, send an email um, saying player evaluation, that they want a player evaluation. I think um, at this point in, in business, it's – it's hard to be everywhere at once. And, um, you know, our focus here is that we want to help the kids. And so, um, yeah, we have a, a contact on, on our, our website at i-balllive.com. And then you just go into the contact section and, and send an email um, for people that want to join um, or have any inquiries about anything that we're doing um, or any connections and collaborations of that nature. So email is the best way for that. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. Well, if anybody's looking for some excellent guidance for their children for basketball or any other uh, activities they offer here, check it out, uh, i-balllive.com. Yep. Right on. Well, Kyle, thanks again. Let's thank do this you. again sometime. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, brother. Likewise. Yeah.